0: Have you ever felt like you're called to one of the seven mountains of influence, but you don't know where to start? Or maybe you're currently in it, but you're getting hit with so much pushback you just want to give up? Maybe you're even questioning, do I have influence at all? Well, in this podcast, we're going to touch on all those subjects. I'm Cecily Williams, and you're listening to Sorry, Did I Make You Uncomfortable. Y'all, I got a new computer, and I didn't, like, I don't know if you can do this, but I've been like praying over my computer, because I've had so many technical difficulties trying to get this thing to work. And then like it just shutting down. But the one thing that I noticed that I kept saying is, um, you know, like when God calls you to do something, and or like when God calls me to do something, I would always say, man, I feel a lot like Gideon, because I'm like, God, if that's really you, then I need to see a sign. And that's just something that I've always said in my life anytime, like I feel like God's saying, hey, go do this, or go do that, or give that a shot. And I will always say, oh, I'm so much like Gideon and like a joke. But man, today, y'all, I started reading and I was in Judges and I started reading about Gideon. And um, I'm not saying that anymore because I do not. I, y'all, Gideon had a lot of issues. And I think that's cool. I mean, we can sit there and we can take out of that, that, oh, God used somebody that was as messed up as Gideon. But also, I'm going to quit speaking that over myself because my words have power. I'm not, I'm not like, I don't want to be like Gideon. I'm not going to be like, like that and always have to struggle with those things. First off, did you know that like Gideon, he was like a prophet. Y'all, if I say stuff and you're like, God, how does she not know that? Well, I'm I'm sorry. There's some things I've, I've been a Christian. I was saved at the age of six, but I'm still reading things and they stick out to me. And I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't know. And I think there's a lot like sometimes in your life you go through these times where you're actually like you're being fed. Somebody's pouring into you and then you start feeding yourself. And then, you know, you're reading more and more. And then like things start popping off that maybe you didn't get taught whenever you were sitting in church. So I don't know why I felt like I had to defend myself, but anyway, so I start reading about Gideon, and my goodness. So, Gideon was a prophet, he was a mighty warrior. And he was a judge. I should have known that because it's actually in the book of Judges. So I should have known that he was a judge. But I was like, he was all these things and he didn't believe any of it. How did he struggle with God giving him something to do if he was already operating as a prophet? I mean, like he heard the voice of the Lord. He was a judge and he was this mighty warrior. God called him a mighty man of valor. And I'm like, okay, he was all these. Why did he struggle? So get to it's Judges six the very beginning I start to see it says you know the Midianites those are the ones that were coming against um, against the Israelites at this time this is where they had already been disobedient and God like you know allows the Midianites for seven years. He, they, he allows them to come in and they are destroying Israelites. I mean, they're destro- destroying their crops. They're destroying their livestock. They're taking everything and just destroying it. They're, the Israelites are basically in a famine. They have nothing. And it says that they're hiding. They're hiding in dens. And they were the caves and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. It says that where it says they made for themselves dens, the caves and the strongholds that are in the mountains. And I just started thinking, I was like, how many people feel like in this hour that God is calling them to one of the seven mountains of influence? And if you don't know them, because like I couldn't remember all seven of them, so I had to look them up. And it was like family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. And I do. I have like a lot of friends that like even are knowing that like, hey, we're we feel like we're called to government. Or I have a lot of people that are. I really feel like I need to be teaching business kingdom business. And I have other friends that like they're in the entertainment and media. Like they know that they're they're supposed to bring Christ into that area. Actually, I feel like I, I'm i probably not the only one. You probably can sit here and point out somebody that you know that is actually actively in that one of those mountains right now. But what I wanted to talk about is like if you feel like you are are called to one of these or that if you're actively in it right now and you feel like it is so full of corruption and evil that you can actually feel that you want to go hide in a cave or you want to go hide away from it or you want to run or you want to quit by reading Gideon's story. I can tell you that's a stronghold, you know, like God, God is to be our stronghold, but also the enemy will come in and he will try to get us to come into agreement with his lies and his deception. And that's the stronghold that we're talking about. What had happened to the Israelites in this time of Gideon is that they had come into agreement with with the strongholds, the lies, the deceit, and the, the stuff that comes from evil and corruption, they had come into agreement with that to a point where they were actually trapped and bound by these strongholds that they had been believing about this corruption and this evil. It had brought them into a bondage. These are the very people that God had already rescued out of Egypt and the bondage there. And then they disobeyed and they were obedient. They started grabbing idols And then they opened up a door for them and there they are finding themselves right back to the very beginning and they were bound in bondage to strongholds again. And the more and more I study Gideon and see God starts to reveal those very strongholds that he was bound to. The first thing is, is when God goes and he finds Gideon, the thing that he's doing is he's like, he's threshing wheat in a wine um, a wine press. And it says he's do it like he's doing that so that the Midianites don't see his wheat so that he can probably have, you know, enough grain that he can make bread and feed his family. But he's doing this in a tool that's created to make wine. I cannot imagine how hard it was to grind up and thresh wheat in a tool that was just not even created for that. I'm sure it was a lot of struggle and it was a lot of toiling and it was a lot of, I'm just instantly like thinking, man, how many times in our lives has God given us something that says out of this will bring new wine and you turn around and you try to use that for your own good, for your own benefit to like to feed your flesh. How many times has our desire or has your desire for fleshly, gain or the desires of the flesh, whether that's like obtaining something in like a material form or like even for pleasure's sake, that you're using something that God had given you or has given you to bring forth new wine in your life. And you're sitting there using it or more focused on how can I, how can I feed these, these desires? How can I feed my flesh? How can I, how can I gain more and more fleshly possessions? And so anyway, so he goes on. So he finds Gideon like this, using the wine press like that. And he, he tells him what he what his plan is to do with him. And like what he wants Gideon to do. And he calls him a mighty man of valor. He's like a hey, mighty man of valor. And um, Gideon instantly like rejects that. And he's like, how can you call me that? Or how can you say that about us? You you promised this, this, and this. And this is all we're coming into. It's, oh, poor me, you know. Oh, we're, we're having all these hard times and you're punishing us. But he totally doesn't take any responsibility or any credit. Or he doesn't acknowledge the fact that they had been in complete disobedience to what the Lord had told them to do and that they were actually worshiping and idolizing false gods. But he doesn't bring that up. He just puts it all on God. Like you did this, this, and this. Uh, okay. It's like right there. I see that he completely forgot what it was like to be in total submission to the Lord and receive his grace on your life. So obviously, he was in this major self-pity, which self-pity is a, it's a focus on self, and it is pride. So he's in pride right here. This man of God, this prophet that's a judge, that's a mighty warrior, all these things that God has spoken over, these are these are titles that God has given to him, spiritual gifts that God has has handed to him, and he is seeing himself as a victim. But God, in all of his patience man, I'm even sit there and I'm like, God, why did you choose this guy? Like, he's so like messed up. I would have been like, you know what? I already asked you. You said no, like I'll move on to the next because I'll find somebody else. But no, God is so patient and and so kind and so full of mercy that he lets him throw this fit. And, um, and then he goes on and then do this. If I'm really hearing you, then do this and do that. Like he has to pro- like, God, prove yourself to me because, you know, you've been so bad, like been towards me, God, because and God does it like God does it. He does all these things that he asks, And then so like getting can't say no, God's proven that he's spoken to him. And so he goes out and I mean, they win the first battle, you know, and so like even so I keep reading. And then again, I notice this, it's almost like an obsession with food or like that he's got his army and he's got his men with him and they go and they're like he said they're exhausted and that they need bread and they ask two different people if they can get bread and they both get they both deny on bread and like Gideon gets ticked off and he's like I'm gonna um, I'll come back and I'll find you and I'll punish you for not giving us bread and I'm like man he's really obsessed with bread and then I'm just reminded about that scripture that says man should not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, I'm like, Gideon is not doing that. He is not living by the words and the truth that are coming out of God's mouth. So it just proves that his source of provision is not placed in God. It is placed in man. That's why he's so obsessed with it. And he still got like, I believe that he was still carrying this victim mindset that if left unchecked, it gives Satan a foothold. If Satan can keep us trapped in a victim mindset, we can end up allowing bitterness to take root inside of us. And that bitterness can cause defilement. Hebrews 12:15 tells us to see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And I believe that in falling short of leaning in on God's grace and understanding God's grace and receiving God's grace, that that there was bitterness that took root in, in Gideon. And that bitterness... It it'll give birth to unforgiveness, and a lot of the times when you're un, in unforgiveness, that you that's when you just like you you keep like keeping a record of wrongs, and you're just mulling over everything that happened. And when you start doing this, you find yourself meditating on it. That's when you know that that bitterness has been transformed to unforgiveness, and then now you're in resentment. And if you don't watch it, then you're going to like take that step to retaliation. Then retaliation has anger, hate, and then finally it's violence. And we see that like after they conquered all of this, he goes back and he punishes like it's bad things that he does to these people. He says he's going to do it. And then he goes and he does it. He isn't just bluffing. He like goes and does it. And I'm like, geez, he had a lot of stuff that was still wrong with him. He was being used by God like he was doing or like he was doing what God told him to do and everything was happening but he still had a lot of soul issues that were messed up those strongholds were still really really deep in him so then the final thing that i see is like after all this happened so like they win he goes back and then like the people of israel they're like um will you rule over us we want you to rule over us gideon and like he says no god will be your rule which like you know, props for that part, but then he's like, But can I ask one thing of y'all? And I'm like, Man, that didn't sit well with me. Like, you know, you were doing God's work, then you just come in and ask for something for yourself. And he asked for, like, he asked for him to give them their earrings and like their gold. And so then he turns all of this gold into an um, I believe the way you pronounce it is ephod. I think it's called an ephod, ephod or ephod. And anyway, so this thing, they create this ephod, and it's, you know, they have like those have like, stones and jewels, and it's like, attached to your breastplate, and it's usually for like high priests. High priests have these. And as far as I can see, like, I didn't think Gideon was a high priest. I mean, I knew that he was a prophet, and I knew that he was, but like a high priest, that's somebody that goes in and like Jesus was the high priest, you know, he would go in and he was the sacrifice for our sins, and like, They go through a lot of testings and stuff, and it looks like Gideon might have been tested, but I would say that he didn't. He didn't. He failed many of those tests. If God was testing him, so I don't think that he deserves to be a high priest. If I'm wrong, that's fine. Like y'all can, y'all can go ahead and and correct me on that. But so he makes this um, breastplate thing, the ephod, and then they end up worshiping it, and then it says that this that was Gideon's snare. Like it became a snare to Gideon and his family. And then they went right back into idol worship. I'm like, okay. I'm like, man, they better figure it out because you know what? They're going to go right back in that cycle over and over and over, right back in the same cycle of idolatry. And that I believe they need to get rid of the pride. The pride is the main issue. That pride that comes in through self-focus, focusing on you, not seeing a full picture and knowing that God is in control and that you obey him in obedience. And I'm like, man, y'all just went through the wilderness. Did you know? I mean, like you're, you've been, because they're at the Jordan at this point, And I'm like, man, you've been in the wilderness for like at least 40 years. And I'm like, you haven't learned a thing yet. The whole time he's trying to teach you to be obedient. And man, you're just and I'm, I'm sitting here, I can see the full picture, and I know how it ends. So I know that a lot of us have been in this situation. And we're we're not aware of the strongholds that we're coming up against. But I just started thinking, man, if we really want to be called to those, those seven mountains of influence, we really need to be aware of the corruption. But we also more than anything, like in our I mean, we can be aware of the corruption. We can see the evil and we can see everything that's happening. But we need to be aware of God's promises. We need to be obedient in what he's telling us to do. And we need to cleanse our, our souls of all of those strongholds and those lies that we're believing because we're not going to step into something that's that's going to be the main things that we come into contact with. Those are going to be the things that we, we have to face. I recently was uh, rereading a book that I was given to me like 20 years ago when I was in um, retail. Uh, it was I, It was a time in my life whenever I was, I had applied for an assistant store manager over this big box retail store that I worked at and I got passed over. And um, the, the actual store manager was, he was really sweet. He was trying to tell me about like why I got passed over. And I had just told him um, at that point, I said, no, it's okay. Like God is the one that promotes me and in due time it will happen. And I knew that, you know, I had some still some learning to do and I was willing to take that correction and any kind of constructive criticism that would help me be a better manager. But, you know, if there's an opportunity, I was still going to take it. But anyway, he had given me this book and um, it was over leadership. And um, so I started reading that and I found it and I started rereading it um, a couple days ago and it really was kind of interesting to me and it's by John Maxwell. Y'all if you are into any kind of leadership or learning about like kingdom leadership you pick up some John Maxwell stuff or listen to his podcast he's absolutely amazing because he has mastered a way of going outside the scope of just Christian leaders. He has he is touching so many people but what he's doing is he's instilling biblical godly principles into leadership and he's showing how to establish these principles and that they bring forth blessings and i know that like again you should never go into a place of of thinking you're going to have influence or implementing something of god so you can have your selfish gain or your self-focus or something that you can get but it's kind of cool how this is actually working for absolutely everybody But anyway, so like in that book, it says that you'll only be as effective as the amount of influence you have been given. And then he tells us that like the greatest leaders have influence. And I was like, man, I don't know if I have influence, you know, even this podcast has gotten some bad ratings. You know, like we've gotten a couple ones. And I'm like, oh, man, man, tell me what, like, give me a review. And I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But um, I started thinking about that and I was like, okay, do I have influence? You know, I'm telling God, I'm like, have you called me to be a leader? And like, do I have influence? And God was like, um, the truth is that you should never be concerned with that. And I am like, what? John Maxwell says that to, to be effective as you're only as effective as the amount of influence that you have been given. And I'm like, I don't know if I have influence, but like, I want to be effective for your kingdom. So then like God, he leads me to like 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And it says, but he answered me. My grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression through your weaknesses. So I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of God living in me. And I absolutely love this because it seems like like you can't force influence You can't, I mean, you can, but it usually means that you reach for things um, out of your flesh to obtain it. You operate out of a place that's like temporary, and it's like limited, and it causes weariness. And it's if he's strong in our weaknesses, we just have to submit everything to him. Like every desire, every dream, every vision, just put it in, in his hands and humble yourself. And then your focus turns to just loving God. And And you serve others out of like the overflow of that love that he's pouring out in you. Anytime that you find yourself extremely weary when you're in that and you're like serving or you're doing things, it's probably because you've stepped outside of your grace lane. Like you've you've stepped outside of operating in full submission to him and in feeling him flow through you and his power flow through you and you're operating and trying to force things or make things happen and it's not coming from a place of like the overflow it the grace will always be coming from a place of overflow he wants you to get filled up he'll fill you up he'll love on you he'll show you your value he'll show you your worth he'll show you how much that's that milk of the word that encouragement of the word. And then before he takes you into the meat, when you've gotten to a place in your life where you're ready for meat, like you're, mat- you're maturing and you're ready for meat, there's a training that takes place. And I say that there's a training because in the word, it tells us that by reason of use, they have their senses exercised. So you like by reason of use, like you have to use them, you have to step out, you have to be obedient, you have to be willing to fall down. And that by doing this is how you you're exercising and you're training to be able to sense and discern both like good and evil. And that's when you're ready for for meat. What meat does is it it provokes and brings about change again. If you're feeling this transition, if you feel like you're coming up against battle after battle or you feel like you're called to like take a a certain mountain of influence and you're getting hit by certain things, just ask God, is this my training gown? Are you adapting me to mature? Are you are you pushing me and telling me like this is time for you to stand up this is time for you to to eat meat this is the time where you're showing me the difference between sound and unsound doctrine so that whenever I come and encounter something that that is not of you that I'm not deceived that I'm not caught off guard that I'm not falling into those strongholds and so like let's go back to John Maxwell's and his book and he mentions like three different people that were like how influence played a part in their in their lives. And he he had said in this book that like two of the most influential people and this is an older book, so like y'all I understand that like there may be somebody that has reached more influence from whenever this book was published. But like at this time he had said that the two most influential women in the world was Queen Elizabeth. And I believe that she's still highly influential and um, Princess Diana. And um, so I found, well, I thought first originally, I was like, well, yeah, of course, they're royalty. So, of course, they're going to be people of influence. But he begins to explain like Princess Diana and he goes in to say that, like you know, like I didn't know, but she's pretty introverted and she didn't like to be... Um, out in front she didn't like to be on camera she didn't like all that at, at the first but so what she did is that she just started like serving charities and she started like and I don't know why I said charities because I have absolutely never pronounced it that way before but it just came out like charities anyway uh rabbit trail um so she was raising money for charities and she was serving them. And like, this is how she gained influence. So she just started doing something that that was easy for her. That was natural, something that she enjoyed. And like out of that came a major influence that she had over the world. And even after the divorce, the, the title, she didn't need the title because she was she s- was still very influential. And then another uh, individual that he talks about is John Elway and um, John Elway actually was um, he was actually found like he would take the plays from his offensive coordinator and they would be going over plays more than he would like the head coach and come to find out like his offensive um, coordinator was actually his coach in college like when he was at Stanford so he was the same the same coach so he had developed this relationship with John Elway and through that relationship that was developed that I'm, I'm sure there was a friendship as well that he had influence over him what like his offensive coordinator did didn't have the title of head coach, but he was able to influence John Elway in a manner that. Look at him, like to. I mean, I know, like I said, like it's an older book, and John Elway, about not, you know, he's not, he's retired, but like, come on, I think once, I think they won like five Super Bowls while ever while he was their quarterback. So that just goes to show another way of influence. And so just reading these, I was like, wow, when we think of influence today, we think, oh, I have to have a million followers on Facebook or I have to like, you know, be the prettiest person there is to have influence or I have to be the richest person that ever lived. I have to have this major title. And once I obtain that, then I'll be a person of influence. But like, when you look at these two people, like, you know, Princess Diana, yes, she had a title, but she just served the, the needy. And I think of God, and y'all, if you have your own conspiracy theories, you do not like her. I, I get it. That's fine. But the point is she she just did what was natural to her and it like it benefited. It was influential in the fact that like what she was promoting. I mean, God says whatever you do to the least of these you, you do to unto me, she was doing that. So, I mean, like I said, whatever you have your opinion of her, she was doing the Lord's work, whether you like her, her or not. And then John Elway's upset, uh, y'all, and forgive me, because like, I'm not like a sports person like at all, but like, um, well, not at all. I mean, I do like to watch football, but I don't remember names of like coach offensive coordinators and things like that. I basically just know the running back quarterback, the wide receiver. So like, I won't know like all of the players, sorry. But the point is his offensive coordinator, he didn't have the title of head coach, but he just developed a relationship. And I love that it's all about community. It's all about relationship. And so the the way he became influential and took this team to the Super Bowl is just by relationship. So it boils down to you don't have to be this giant person that everybody knows to be a person of influence. And so I just started reading um, about Paul. I've been weird. And I know not told y'all this, like I'm I'm a nerd that just likes to dissect absolutely everything whenever I'm reading, just not because I don't believe it is truth. I just find it interesting. And so I wanted to read about when Paul uh, went through that transformation. He was Saul originally and he was persecuting Christians and he was just an awful man. And um when he, when Saul was converted and transformed into Paul and I started reading that story and y'all, I was completely wrong. This all like this is the twice that I've told you, you're going to think I know nothing about the word, but I'm learning, we're all learning and we can always still grow. So I always thought that whenever Saul was um God spoke the the call over him or whatever. He went blinded. And then Ananias came, you know, Ananias came and uh, God had told him to go tell him that he had been called to ministry to to the Gentiles. And um, I thought that at that moment that he received his sight back is when that transformation happened and he was Paul. But I was totally wrong. It actually keeps going. And it says that he like Saul and Barnabas went out. and so he's like Saul started his ministry as Saul and he just like Barnabas went with him. And so it wasn't until, okay, so Barnabas, and, and Saul were going out and they were actually ministering, spreading the gospel, going together. And y'all, if you don't know, like Barnabas, Barnabas actually means bar, Barnabas actually means like bar. That word bar can represent the name, it means son. And um, so Barnabas meant son of encouragement. And so what, who Barnabas was to Saul was like, it was actually his mentor. It was his encourager. He was the one that went along and like instructed him. He was like guiding him on what to do and how to do it. Just being beside him and going out with him. And so Barnabas and Saul were out and going about and they were about to go talk to this governor and tell this governor the, the good news, the gospel. And there was a sorcerer that was there and the sorcerer's name was Bar Jesus, which I found very uh, crazy because I was like, wow, how dare him call himself Jesus, even if he did attach Bar to it. But then again, I remembered that that Bar can mean son. And I was like, was this son of Jesus? So I just started looking more on the word Bar Y'all, I know I'm a nerd, but that bar can actually mean block or a barrier. So this, this bar, Jesus was actually trying to stop them from spreading the gospel. So he was a block to Jesus. So they had encountered on this, um, this particular mission, Saul and Barnabas had encountered this guy that was trying to block the sorcerer that was trying to block Jesus. So it was this, you know, this witchcraft, this, um, false, um, like prophet, this this all this stuff that's coming it was very evil it was very corrupt he was trying to stop them from spreading the truth of Jesus to to the government to the gover, uh, governor guy and so when Saul came into that, what he did was he spoke to him, rebuked him and let and he had to like he got rid of him, blah, blah, blah. And then they were able to speak into this, the, the governor's life. And I found that very interesting because it was at that point that he started referring to himself as Paul. That's when the conversion happened. The conversion happened when he actually stood up against something that he and his past life actually used to deal with. It's like because you know, as I said, Saul was a persecutor of Christians, he hated Christians, he tried to stop them from spreading the gospel, and he was killing them. And when he ran into that same exact spirit that was trying to block the gospel of Jesus, and he stood up to something from his past and said, No, it stops here, it's that's when the transformation happened, and that's when he referred to himself as he referred to himself as Paul, he actually went as it was Saul also known as Paul because he had a dual name. Um, and that was pretty common back in the days, but like Saul would have been known like really common and well received by the Pharisees. But he switched to the Roman name, Paul that, um, that would have been known and really received by the Gentiles and that they would have understood him. So that's when his mission mission, um, Ministry actually started to majorly take off, and um, it was at that moment that he stood up to him. So I believe that there's a there there will be a time when you know, like, hey, I've been called to this, I've been called to that. But when if you come in and you're like, hey, I feel like I'm I'm encountering or I'm still dealing with some of the things that I used to deal with in the past, it might not be that you're dealing with them, but they're coming back around, and it's like a testing of your faith, and God's gonna be like you know, it's just like those tests, God will take you through a test sometimes in life. And he's not, it's not like a pass or fail test. It's just one of those tests where he's like saying, I'm just going to let you see what you have inside of you. And like, God already knows everything about you. Like he knows where you're going to fail. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your like, but he knows where you're going to ask him to help him. He knows all these things. It's just so that you know, like, you know, the authority you walk in, you know, what you're, you're capable Love through jesus you know him uh god as your provider you know god as your protector like you know that you know and you've got that relationship with jesus and that like you tap into that and so it was like god's way of showing um It was God's way of showing Saul what he was walking with and the the authority and the power that he had in the moment that he recognized all of that is the moment that he started referring to himself by that name of Paul and he, he, he transformed. So I believe you, the moment that like if you step into something and you see that, just speak to it, command it to leave, stand up against it and say, this is where like I'm not dealing with that. I recognize that from my past, this ends. And I believe that you'll start to see more and more transformation happening the more and more that you start submitting those things under God's power, under God's authority, and you start seeing those things that they just won't hold any weight to you anymore, any weight on you anymore. So I just encourage you, like, if you feel like God's calling you something, just take it, take that first step, take that, just do something, just do it. Because like, you don't know who you're influencing. Like it, it, you know, like even John Maxwell saying, you'll only be as effective as the amount of influence that you've been given. You don't know the amount of influence you've been given. Because the one person, I mean, like you may be, you may have... An employee underneath of you, or you may have a coworker that you work alongside of, or you may run across somebody that's one of your vendors, or whatever you you do that that you may have a word of encouragement over them, and you may be influencing them. And that amount of influence may take that person may end up being like a Paul that goes out and changes the world. That person may be like a John Elway that goes on and has five Super Bowl wins. That that person that you're influencing like you may be just serving at a charity and you're not thinking you're doing anything but like it's being recognized and seen and it's causing like a, a wave of people to want to donate to that charity and you see mighty things happen with that charity because you, you stepped in I don't you don't know what you're doing your realm of influence that's in God's hands he brings that to you he opens that door for you but your job is strictly just to be obedient take that first step and be obedient to whatever he's placed on your heart. And if you feel like you're still like Gideon, you're still dealing with some strongholds. You're still dealing... If I got into those areas, like, just don't turn your back on them. Like, like help say, Father, help me help me with my selfish ambition. Help me with my self-focus. Help me with feeling like a victim. Help me with feeling like you have let me down, like being disappointed with you. Help me here, Father. Like, you know, even... Job, it looks like Job was murmuring and complaining, but what Job was doing was he was actually going to the father and he was in prayer. He was talking to him and God, you know, God doesn't mind you coming to him and talking to him and saying, Hey, you know what, God, like, you know, I've had to do that. Like God, you know, this hurts here. This hurts still. Like I feel like you let me down, like reveal the truth. And God will, if your heart is open to receive truth and correction and whatever it is, like if you're open to him and his voice and hearing what he's saying over you, He'll reveal it. He'll show it to you. I promise like he would never leave you in that place of despair. He will never leave your your heart broken and shattered. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring health. He's proud of you. He's proud of you for even admitting like, hey, this hurts because, you know, anything that's left in darkness is left under the power of darkness. But the moment that you reveal it to the Lord and you just say, hey, I don't want to be bitter anymore. I want you to come in here and help me in this. And it, it You know, like you didn't get there overnight and don't expect like if it doesn't happen overnight that God's like totally given up on you. Don't don't suspect that he's given up on you. But like, just know that sometimes he takes us through a process. Sometimes he takes us through and it seems like it takes a little bit longer, but that's because you have a greater call on you because the the test, the greater the test, the harder the test is, the greater the weight of your call is and the glory that he can flow through. Because when you've, you've hit obstacle after obstacle, you know, the intricate ins and outs of something, and then you can come alongside and, and guide somebody else through it God wants to use you in mighty ways and if you keep feeling like you're testing you're getting tested you're you're coming up against this wall then you know what grab a notepad and a pen and take notes because when he walks you through it then you're gonna have like the instruction manual to walk somebody else through it anyway guys I know that was a whole lot but um I'm sorry if any of that made you uncomfortable but um I do appreciate you guys and um even with the bad ratings yeah y'all I do have one request if you have a bad rating like we got a one we got a bad rating um I don't mind that's it everybody's open to their opinions and like I said I don't know everything and I'm I'm open to correction but like leave me a review on it and because I want to know I want to talk about it I want to address it and like maybe you can correct me and then we can work things out. In any way, because I, like I don't want to just stand up here and act like I know everything. I just love to study the word. Sometimes God gives me um, something that I need to bounce around with other people. I need confirmation and I need correction too. A lot of the times. So anyway, I love you guys. I hope you have a good week and thank you for listening. Bye.